says on. Now it's on. Is that what you were shaking your head at me? I said, well, it's a feast of trumpets. And Christy goes, I thought, what? <laughs> Did we mess something up here? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you a story, though. This year, uh, we had about as early a feast days as we can have because the new moon uh, came almost immediately after the equinox. I think it was the first or second day. It was very, very close anyway. So that threw everything very early this year. And I published when it would be, and I got some flack from my sister in Texas. She thought it was to be a day later. And uh, my son Matt as well. Well, what happened is we had the new moon also coming <clears throat> just a few minutes before sundown. I think it was only one or two minutes before or after, I forget now. Uh, anyway, it put us a day earlier is the way it came out than if, it, than if sunset had been two or three minutes later. It was that close. Well, what my sister's doing is she believes that you should uh, start based on the area you live in. Uh, we do it because we know where true Jerusalem is. We used to figure it from the Middle East, and then when we learned this, it changed it, and now it's in our time zone. But her thought is that it should be in the time zone in which you live, if you're on the East Coast or the Central or whatever. Uh, so their sundown came earlier than ours, an hour earlier, basically, because they're an hour away in that time zone. So they started counting it uh, a day later, since sundown had come before the new moon. And uh, so they'll be keeping it tomorrow <laughs> instead of today. But here, the new moon and the Sabbath were just that close together, and it put it on a Friday. And interestingly, we have four back-to-back -back Sabbaths or fasts uh, this time. I don't know that I ever recall that having happened. We've had one or two at times, but not four like we do this year. Uh, how does that work out? It's uh, today and tomorrow, of course, trumpets and the weekly Sabbath. Then we have next week the weekly Sabbath and then atonement. Then we have uh, Feast of Tabernacles. First Friday, Saturday is a double Sabbath, and so is the last. So that's four uh, that come together. People call it a double Sabbath. No, a double Sabbath really is when you have one falling on the same day. Uh, two Sabbaths on the same day, I call a double Sabbath. Uh, but back-to-back -back Sabbath is a day and then the next day. We've got four back-to-back. -back. Anyway, uh, I was driving through the Colorado Rockies uh, yesterday, and... The quaking aspens up high are turning yellow in places, and some of the shrubs down low are 
beginning to change, and fall is in the air. You can feel it. And there I could see it, and I found it very, very inspiring to know that there's a signal that God's holy days are upon us as the fall colors turn and the fall holy days. And uh, I wanted to get here two or three days ago, and as I was starting to say, we were so busy trying to wrap some things up, and I'm kind of done there now. Uh, we got two months' worth of work done in five, basically, because of weather and lack of able ability to hire people, and just on and on, uh, it drug out, and I, I'm sorry I've missed being here so long all this summer, but uh, here for a while now, and glad to be. But nonetheless, I had worked so hard, and till dark, uh, even night before last, and was going to come on home night before last, but I was so tired I could hardly get in the truck. <laughs> so, slept uh, a while, got up early, and uh, I had to stop two or three times yesterday and take a nap. I just getting too sleepy. I wanted to be here before sunset and hear the trumpets blowing. And uh, I finally decided, well, you better stop and take a nap, and then later on stop and take a nap, because it's either get here on time or not get here. <laughs> and I did see one red car upside down that uh, apparently some guy went to sleep, a single car accident. And, uh, you know, you can go off the road and be upside down pretty fast. So I decided to go safely, so it was well after sundown last night when we got in, but uh, nonetheless, I, I didn't feel like I was breaking the spirit of it by stopping and sleeping when I felt I had to. Uh, I used to drive 20 hours a day. What happened? I don't know what, what's wrong. Yeah, I kind of think I have an idea. Anyway, let's get on with some announcements first. Uh, man, it looks different around this hall. Uh, I do appreciate very deeply the work that went into it. I, you know, you can drive by and you see trees and you don't pay that much attention, but I see they've been trimmed up quite a bit. And now instead of running into limbs when you drive up to the hall, you can actually drive under it and get shade. And uh, these bushes look better, and this, this was becoming a cat house out here on the corner, uh, stray cats living in these bushes, and uh, they can't do that anymore. So that solves that. I think we've still got a couple we discussed out front here that may need to go because they're kind of dying and look bad. So I think they need to go away as well. Uh, in the woods, some of it got stacked inside, and whatever time you had, Jocelyn got injured, but... We're getting used to that. She's always hurting her feet and her legs, and that's just kind of par for the course. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, what has been done, I certainly appreciate. Uh, the fast of the seventh month comes on Sunday. This is Friday, first day of the new month, and then the second, so Sunday's the third day. So we have a fast coming up on Sunday. Man, that's... Trumpets, Sabbath, fast. That's three pretty full days. Uh, this fast has to do with the murder of Gedaliah after uh, 
Israel or the Jews went into captivity, and the leader that Nebuchadnezzar had installed of the Jews was killed. And God has made that fast, fast of the seventh month, one of the ones there in Zechariah 8 and 9 that we are to keep. So it obviously has meaning. Uh, Herbert Armstrong, I looked upon as our king, is dead there in Malachi 4. And I think John Reitenbaugh uh, was slated to be important to the end time as well, and now he died. And uh, Malachi may apply more to that than to Herbert Armstrong in the sense that he says, your king is dead, why do you cry out? <laughs> and I wonder how this is all going to work out. I have my ideas. We'll just leave it at that. But uh, we also know from Hosea and Isaiah 7 that the leaders of the U.S., one or two, are going to die. We don't know just which ones. But it sounds like maybe president, vice president, or somebody who's been president or uh, on that level, in any case, we'll see how that works out. So, God's having us keep the fast of the seventh month with the death of Gedaliah. Now, he was no Moses, no Abraham, no David. He was just a man of Israel or Judah who was appointed to be in charge of those who were left behind, not necessarily by God, but by Nebuchadnezzar. But we know that God is behind all those decisions. He tells us there in Daniel 4 that he sets above the nations the basis of men. And when you look around the world today, you see an awful lot of base men, if you will, and base women who have been in charge of, of the nations. And probably our situation in this nation is the worst of them all. Uh, not only because of lack of a mind, but also just plain downright evil. In the last several have been involved in the New World Order uh, up to the, the gills. So, uh, this fast about Gedaliah on the seventh, or the seventh month, with those things all in mind and part of the stew, if you will, we'll see how it turns out. But it has to be important, or God would not have included it there in Zechariah. That's the key to that, is it's, if we're to keep it, it's important. And it may not seem as important as the destruction of the temple or the burning of Jerusalem and so on. Uh, and yet, God included that. He could have used other things. But he didn't. He used that. So it's going to come into play in some form or fashion, one way or another, that the killing of Gedaliah is a prophecy like the rest are. So we'll, we'll see on that, but let's keep it, because Zechariah says, do it. <clears throat> and that's this coming Sunday. <clears throat> I think that's all I have in terms of that kind of announcement. Uh, I'm sure you're aware you have the calendar that uh, Atonement comes on the 24th, and then, of course, the feast starts on the 29th. So, before the sermon, then, we have the church choir and the children to sing, At the Sound of the Trump.
That will be followed by the uh, handles. Um, I can't think of the name of it. Uh, the, the, the trumpet song. Not only can I think of that, but I also, we couldn't find the Messiah a little earlier. It's a serious thing when you can't find the Messiah. <laughs> he tells us to look for him and search for him, but the CD with uh, the last trump uh, couldn't be found, the one we usually use, so Nelson and I ran over to my house and got another one. So anyway, we'll have, at the sound of the trump, then we'll have uh, the last trump from the Messiah before the sermon.
do we grasp and understand that that is going to happen. We can go through life, live day by day, doing the mundane things that life calls upon us to do. We work, we play, we do different things as a human being here on this earth. All of it is looking forward to something else. And without a very, very deep belief in, some, belief in something else that we can't see, touch, feel, taste, is difficult. Now, you're living your life on this earth today in order to achieve a greater, better life later. And the amount of vision we have toward that makes an awful lot of difference in achieving it. Without vision, the people perish. We have to be able to look ahead and see what is to be. It has to be clear in our minds what's coming. With that, let's go to Hebrews 11. As it fits very well here with what I just said. And adds a great deal to it, of course. We've called Hebrews 11 the faith chapter because it has a great deal to do with faith. And he starts out by saying, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I just express that in different words. Here we are, human. We only see so much. We only understand so much. Even Paul, converted as he was, and having had teaching strict, uh, straight from Christ himself in the desert, could still say, we see through a glass darkly. It is so hard for us to comprehend. So much so that God calls it a what? Mystery. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, called... What is to happen, the mystery of God? Because at best, as human beings, we cannot grasp what is ahead. Through a glass darkly sums it up pretty well. We try to see ahead, we try to understand, but it's truly beyond our grasp. So it is the evidence of things not seen. You believe in something you can't see and haven't seen. Now, that's difficult. It's hard to do. Hard to keep in mind. It's easy for us to get sidetracked onto stuff without keeping our focus as strongly on where it needs to be as we should. It has to be absolute first number one. That's what Christ is expecting of us. Put me first. Love me above yourself. Love me above your neighbors. Love me above everything there is on this earth. Sports and games and music and uh, fishing and golf and hunting and baseball and football and everything. The man does. We're to put him ahead of it. 
And the Sabbath should reflect that. We don't have any of that stuff on our minds on the Sabbath. Because it's set there every seventh day to jerk us back into focus of what we're here for. To be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's what it's all about. So the question then for you and me today is how much do we believe that? How deeply does it go into our hearts, minds, and psyche? Let's read on here. For by it the elders obtained a good report. They believed in something, they hoped for something they had not seen, and they believed it enough that they got a good report. I want you and I to believe it enough to someday get a good report. You go to school, inevitably you get a report card. And it's got some gradations from A to F. And you're somewhere at the top or the bottom or the middle of that, according to your teacher. Now, ours is God. Now, these that we're about to read about obtained a good report from whom? From God himself through the Apostle Paul who stated it as such. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. They weren't here. They had to be created. They had to be made. Romans 1 goes into that, to so show that we know God by the things that He has made. And we need to spend time looking at what God has made. If it's nothing but a cottonwood tree or a chicken, to grasp what it took to conceive, to plan, all these things we see about us, around us, the sun, the moon, the stars, they were beautiful last night. No moon, no moon. The Milky Way was out. It was just fantastic to look up at the stars. We see all around us the things that God has made, and by them we understand Him. I've said it probably many times and will again. Why do I want to live forever? I look at this physical life, and we have our troubles and trials and difficulties, and as we age, we get more decrepit and more painful and more diseased and more crippled and more injured and everything that goes on until we finally just lay down and die. Now, what you experience in this life does that make you want to live forever? I don't want to in this form, I'll guarantee you. I've got so many injuries from football and baseball and four-wheelers and stuff that no joint on me really is any good anymore. They work part of the time some ways. 
But, you know, it's, it's just there, young or old. So why would you want this through your venues? Well, we don't want to turn loose either, do we? We don't want to die. But then we get to the point finally where, why am I alive? I think Al, and I hope he's able to listen today, is getting to the point, he's 96 years old, and he's expressed to me, well, I'm still here this week, but may not be next week, kind of. But what is there about life that would make him want to continue as he is, on and on and on? You can't do much of anything. What's the point? And you don't hurt in a grave. You're at absolute peace. No more pain. Well, God promises us that we'll have a life with no pain. Not a death with no pain, but a life with one without pain. Do you believe that? As much as we suffer in this life, it's kind of hard to imagine a life with no pain. Let's go on here. We understand God by the things He's made. And that's how I connect, in one sense, is that I look at the beauty of everything there is, and I've had opportunity this summer to be in the Colorado Rockies. I love the mountains. I love the pine trees and the fir trees and the aspens and the deer and the squirrels and the all the stuff around that God made. But I said chicken and cottonwood because that's here. But I want to be around someone who could make all these things. You know, you see a work of art or a chair or something invented by man and you look at it and you marvel. How could they do that? How could they make something so beautiful out of just something. And yet, God gave us a very limited amount of, I wouldn't call it creativity, because that which you transformed into something that was maybe ugly into something beautiful isn't really creating, it's redoing what already is that God made. But I want to be around somebody forever who could make an environment like we have for us. He made it so beautiful and so interrelated and interconnected, symbiotic, that so many things depend on other things that have to happen or they die. But it all keeps happening. Now you look at the things man makes, Satan inspiring man, and some of them look pretty good, but overall the trend is toward destruction. And I don't want to be around anybody that destroys stuff. I want to be around someone who builds things, who does that. And Paul brings that in right away here. These received a good report with, for things that they could not see, because they looked at what God had made and said, I like him. <laughs> he did this. 
He did that. I have to like him. You could use the term, to know you is to love you. You know God by the things he's made, and therefore you love him for what he's done. And we have the world around us denying that he made it. And denying him at the same time, and saying, we'll build it back better. Yeah, you will. And maybe they can make pigs fly, so we'll see how this works out. But they're not going to make it back better. They're destroying it. And purposely so. I didn't look at the news this morning. Well, I looked at three or four headlines. That was it. I don't want my mind on what Satan is doing and what man is doing, especially on the Feast of Trumpets. This is the day that God has set aside to blow trumpets, and that's a powerful sound, because it pictures some very powerful things that are going to happen. And I want my mind on what God has made and what God is doing and says He will do. Not on Satan and his stuff today. We get enough of that as it is. So, by faith, verse 4, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead, yet he speaks. Abel did exactly what God had said, and offered a gift that God wanted. Now Cain, on the other hand, said, My carrots are just as good as your sheep. And I'll offer them to God. Well, now we are to offer first fruits of plants and tithes of plants and so on. God says that. But when it came to a sacrifice that was acceptable to God, it had to be a living, breathing animal with blood that was spilled. Nothing else would accomplish what God had in mind to teach Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and all of us ever since. Cain didn't get it. He said, carrots are just as good. I'm sorry, I'll take God's carrots. Or radishes, I don't know what he did. But it wasn't an animal that poured its life out, its blood out, because the sacrifice of Christ was being established in type all the way back there. Now, Cain thought he was doing fine. So the Pharisees. But they weren't doing what God said. And Cain didn't. But Abel did. And it was counted for righteousness because he said, I will do what God tells me to do. Now, you could argue maybe it was easier for Abel because he had animals. It would have been more difficult for Cain because he might have had to trade his carrots for a sheep. But that's doable. It doesn't matter what I think is righteous or how righteous I might be. It's what does God say He wants done. And that's what Abel did. He believed God. And it was counted as righteousness. And here he is in Hebrews 11. 
We don't know much about Abel's life, do we? But we know there were some things there where he was willing and able to obey God, and it worked out good for him. You read on in this chapter, and you're going to find out it turned out really good for him. And here we are, set to do what God tells us to do and to please Him. And it will turn out very good for us if we do it. He did it. He goes on and gives us more examples. He didn't think we got it there. Verse 4 wasn't enough. By faith, Enoch was removed, translated, reset that he should not see death, and was not found because God had removed him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That's the next thought here. Do what God says, and then the next man mentioned pleased God. We know he didn't go to heaven. No man has ascended except he which came down, not even David. And neither have any of these in this chapter, as we'll see as we get to the end of it. But he was removed from where he was because he was in a very, very violent world that was about to be destroyed and everybody die except for Noah and his family. So God removed him to another place on earth where he finished living his life out so that he would not be killed. You know, they hate the righteous. They hate Christians today. The whole world, basically, the rest of the world, hates Christians. And they automatically hate true Christians. And for Satan and the New World Order, true Christians are easier to spot than the regular go-to-church Christians of this world. They don't have God's Holy Spirit. Satan knows where God's Spirit is. It forms a light, a brightness, where the Spirit of God dwells. So when Satan looks down, he has no trouble seeing these twinkling little lights of converted people. Now, Satan wants to counterfeit that, and even George Bush Sr. talked about the Illuminati, the illuminated ones, the thousand points of light. Now, he was on to something. He just had the wrong people altogether. But we are little points of light that Satan can recognize. He hates God, and he hates the Spirit of God, and is able to know exactly where that Spirit is. I've told you, I think, before. There was a fellow there in the Almighty. Well, he was in the church area. He wasn't in the church. But he had called up for a visit, and I went to see him. And he just talked gibberish. And I'd lay my hands on his head and he would talk normal. And if I took him off, he'd talk gibberish. I couldn't understand him. He had demons, obviously. But I had God's Spirit. And when I laid my hands on him, the Spirit of God was stronger than the demons that inhabited him. So he could react positively when the Spirit of God was there, and when it was just demons, it was just gibberish. Now, there are intelligent demons who can speak quite clearly, and they inhabit some of the leaders of the world very definitely. 
whole batch of them in Washington. I heard just recently Pelosi called herself a, was it a veiled serpent, cold-blooded veiled serpent or something like that. Called herself that. And so on it goes. God has Satan coming before his throne, probably on a daily basis, making accusations against true Christians. He doesn't care about Methodists and Baptists and Catholics. He's got them in his hands, Mormons. The ones he goes and accuses are you and me, and others like us around the world. And he knows exactly where every one of them is, believe me. So Enoch pleased God. We see some things here. Obey God. Please God. Verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You can come to God... But you can't please Him unless you have faith. And it's questionable how much faith He will find when He comes because He says, when He does, will He find faith on earth? Will it be here? There's only one place He could possibly find it. And that's in the church of God that He has raised up. And I'll take it even further the latter-day church that he is going to soon raise up. The rest will be dead. It's the only place he can find faith. We're the only candidates. No one else is in the running. They don't have their name on the ballot. Just those whom he's called, who have answered the call, and are daily seeking to serve God. Those are the only ones where he can find the faith of God in them. Some people use the name of Christ. They have a certain amount of belief in God. I said it last week. The Pharisees thought they were pleasing God. We're the seed of Abraham. And everything we do pleases God. And Christ called them a generation of serpents. Whitened sepulchers. Full of dead men's bones. That was his assessment of those who consider themselves the most righteous on earth. And he's the same way with those who claim to be Christians today who don't do what he said. How can you claim to be a Christian when you don't do what he says? You're not a Christian. You're a liar, a thief, an adulterer, a Sabbath breaker. And on and on it goes. And we got a bunch of them living right here with us. I said it last week, and I guess I'm saying it again. Don't even know which day is the Sabbath anymore. Part of it. It's so clear. Keep your Day of Atonement from sundown to sundown. Keep Passover from sundown to sundown. Genesis 1. The evening and the morning. The evening and the morning. Seven times it says it. And yet we have people living here who are keeping it from sunrise to sunrise, and part of it falls on 
the Sabbath day, but not all of it by any means. So they're breaking the Sabbath and they think they're righteous. No, they're not. They're not following the Scripture and they're not pleasing God. They've got to repent. Lying and stealing land. How did they lose their focus? I didn't care whether we owned this land or not. I knew it was temporary. Temporary's turned into longer than we thought originally, but it's still temporary. It's just a place to begin to gather, to go on to bigger and better things, and yet some people are so worried about security and owning something which isn't necessary. Use it until God moves us on to bigger and better things. But you don't have to own it. What difference does it make? We are ambassadors for Christ. Pilgrims. Owning is not that important except and unless your mind is too material and focused on what I own. We need to focus on God owning the earth in us coming to own the earth and the universe with Him. What we have on this earth is nothing. we got a graveyard full of people up here who really don't care if they lease or own. They don't care about anything. They don't know nothing. But they're candidates for Hebrews 11. They died in faith. I guess all of them did. I know some did. Let's move on. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. He hadn't seen any rain. He hadn't seen any flood. He hadn't seen anything. Build a boat. Build a big boat. Build a boat big enough to put every clean and unclean animal in it. Build it big enough to have feed for all of them. And he moved with fear. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's the first thing he did, is he moved with fear. God said, therefore I'm scared. (laughs) The old saying goes, if you're scared, say you're scared. He was scared. So he started doing what God said. Build a boat. Yes, Lord. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. He's an heir of righteousness. He's going to be in the kingdom of God. He's going to be resurrected. He went on to die, you know. But he's going to be resurrected as a spirit being, and serve God because he believed in faith. Now, he saved his family physically for a while, but they eventually all died. But he made for himself a place in the kingdom of God, and fear started it. 
Now, you and I have done a little bit so far, haven't we? We looked at Micah 4, and it says, Get out of Babylon, go dwell in the wilderness. So we came, and we're here. You obeyed. You did what that Scripture says. I believe that. And it says, Here you'll be delivered. doesn't say anywhere else, but out in the wilderness, away from the midst of Babylon. So we're on the right track. But being on the right track only does you so much good. You've got to get to the station. Then you've accomplished something. So, you continue. You do what God says. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing where he went. Now, that's a difficult thing. God appears, says, Abraham, I want you to go find a city. Okay. Where should I look? I just said go. Now, get. So, he went looking to find what God had said he would find. He just did what God said, kind of like Abel. Didn't know, kind of like Noah. Build a boat. Well, you know, how long does it take to build a boat? I don't see any rain. Well, it'll take you about a hundred years, Noah, so get going. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Persevering, building a big boat, just you and maybe your sons, maybe he hired somebody, I don't know. But everybody was mocking and laughing at him, so I doubt if they hired on. How long have you been faithful to God? Anybody got a hundred years going? Not by any chance. How long are you good for? How long are you good for? hundred years? God doesn't give us the timing specifically. We've got some pretty good clues and we know we're near, but He says just endure to the end. That's what you've got to have in you till it comes to the end. However long that is. End of building the boat. End of killing the lamb. End of finding the city that God says out there that you've got to go find. It takes some effort, doesn't it? Well, it took us some effort to come out here. I think God showed me exactly the area to come to, the original promised land. But he says, prepare a place near here. I was in Beaver Dam, Arizona. Where in the world did that come from and what did it mean? No idea. Just near here. So I started looking around on the south rim because the guy wanted to trade land for houses. I didn't have any houses to trade, so that didn't work out. And because of a failing business, I went back to Alaska and kind of put it on the back burner. And then God shoved my nose in it and said, time to go do this. So I started looking in the whole four-state area around Zion, not knowing whether he meant a two-day drive or a one-hour drive or what did he mean. And some people came out and moved to Kanab after the feast in 01. 
We didn't know where to go. We got together in cars and vehicles and drove all around this area looking for a place, not knowing where we were going or what we were doing. Didn't have any money. Just knew that we needed to find whatever it was that God wanted us to have. And I've been told by John Reitenbaugh, it has to be given to us or almost given to us. And you know that story. We found this piece. I went to talk to the guy and I thought, well, we've got to get this on a song. He didn't even want enough earnest money to make... Well, I wound up paying $5,000 down. That's nothing for a piece of property like this. Nothing. And then he lowered the interest rate before I had a chance to even ask. And the first thing he said, actually, was I'm lowering the price on the land before I even asked. And when he gave me those terms and discounted everything that the ad said... Before I even had a chance to argue, what are you going to do? I whipped out my checkbook and I wrote him a check for 5000 bucks and said, we're doing it. It was almost given to us. Yeah, we had to make payments, but that was no big deal. It cost us all $100 a month for a place to live with an acre and water and everything we need, basically. That's pretty much given. So God's still working. Hey, God's still working. He's working with us now like He worked with these folks back here. You believe that? Do you put yourself in the position of Abel, of Enoch, of Noah, of Abraham? Let's read on. Didn't know where he was going. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise. He got here as in a strange country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, we have read the prophecies and we understand that God is going to build something and He's going to build it in this area and we're here to be part of that. Are we not? We've sojourned. We lived in temporary houses. I had a dream before we ever started building houses, before we ever bought this property, that would be dwelling in old mobile homes. We bought the land, and I'd kind of forgotten that. And we were discussing sod houses and straw houses and stuff cheap to build that was warm and cool. Didn't know what we were going to do, and then somebody went over here and bought an old mobile home. I mean an old mobile home. Ask Christy about it. It was, well, that's enough. And then everybody else started doing the same thing. And I remembered the dream. You're going to be living in an old mobile home. Temporary. Transitory. We're not going to be here very long. I mean, in the sense of what's going to happen. We're moving on. It even says there, 
in Isaiah that they'll say it's too small for us. We need more room. God could have given us the whole promised land. He could have run the more more moms out of here. But he hasn't yet. But he's gonna. You believe that? You ask any Mormon, even God himself could drive them out of their promised land. No, they think it's theirs. They'll learn. They'll learn. Was God able to drive the Canaanites out and let Abraham take over what became Jerusalem? Yes, he was. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Now there's some faith. What if you were in your 90s and Sarah was in her 70s? And God said you're going to have a kid. And Abraham hadn't been able to rise to the occasion for years. And she was way past menopause. Hadn't had a hot flash in 20, 30 years. Whatever. Dead. Gone. No way. But they believed God. Chuckled a little, but believed God. And it happened. It just happened. Because God said so. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off. Focus, vision, belief, faith in something they could not see. And were persuaded of them and embraced them. They hugged the things of God. They loved them and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, that this life means nothing. It's just suddenly over and done. You only live so long and you're finished, and they throw dirt in your face. That's just what happens. But they were persuaded there was something coming that was even better by far than what they had. So, life was just a temporary thing. I didn't grasp that when I was 20. I was young and full of them, vigor and vitality, and I thought I was be doing this, that, and the other thing forevermore. That's just the way you feel when you're young. But that feeling begins to diminish in time. And you realize, I still think I can go do this, I can go do that. But that's just recall. Because I go to do what my brain says I have done and can do, and I can't do it anymore. This hurts, that hurts, something else hurts. Can't do it anymore. There's lessons we learn as we go through life. But we need something more than what we got. 
Am I done? We're just getting started. It's going to be Sabbath for two more days. It don't matter. But the mind can only absorb what the rear end can endure. I understand that, too. <laughs> so, I need to be wrapping this up. This may have to be continued tomorrow. They confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. They're seeking something more. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from where they came, and they might have had opportunity to have returned. They were somewhere. They might have been able to return there. But they found out there was something better to look forward to, a place that they needed to be worse than they needed to be where they came from. How many of you dream of Houston still? Oh my, that, I've been there a few times. Nightmare kind of comes to mind. Bugs, humidity, traffic, too many people in one spot. Oh, God hates cities, so do I. He says, woe to him that builds house to house and even field to field. We're still too close together here. All I could manage to give us was a, basically an acre apiece, and that's not enough room. It's okay, but I like it where I can't see any neighbors. I like it where I can't even see the smoke from their chimney. It's where I like it. 144,000 in a place as big as the kingdom that is coming, Fifteen, the city itself, 1,500 square miles at least. And you divide all that out by 144,000 plus some angels and whatever, but there's a lot of space left over. That's 144,000 in a space bigger than from the west coast of the Mississippi and Canada to Mexico. St. George area is getting nearly that many people. <laughs> no, God's going to give us space. And including outer space. So he wants us to have room. But he's prepared for us the city. They desire a better country, that is, an heavenly, not a physical, material. That's not what's on their mind. That's not their focus. Being here as a pilgrim and an ambassador for Christ is what we're here for. Wherefore, God is not ashamed... To be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. He's not ashamed to be called our God. I've seen it where someone would say, is that your kid? And you were kind of ashamed to admit it. <laughs> How could a kid acting like that be my kid? Parents even say, oh, that's your kid. Sometimes he's my kid, but I think right now he's your kid. I don't claim him. I'm ashamed of him or her. 
God Almighty of the whole universe is not ashamed to call you His children. That's hard to grasp. Look at us. What a mess we are. He's not ashamed of us. He's going to fix us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that with your heart? Are you doing it every day, focusing on loving Him above everything else and putting Him number one in everything you do? Everything else is subject to putting Him first and every, everything else is secondary. Do you believe it enough to do that? Well, I didn't finish where I was going today by any means, but... There's a lot there already to think about on this Feast of Trumpets, picturing the time when the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised in Christ. Make sure you're there that day and it happens. Believe it! <laughs>